everybody it's time once again for meet our community the hispanic business community here in orange county powered by the orange county hispanic chamber of commerce and orange county's only community radio station oc talk radio streaming live from our studios here at the university of california irvine's beale applied innovation center and today well, we've got some royalty in the room here john gutierrez starting us off Yes, we have another special guest today. Welcome, everybody, to our community podcast show powered by the Orange County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, uh, Senior Vice President here at the Chamber. I'm so excited to have a what I call a community leader, of course, a professional artist, the godfather of hip-hop, Mr. Melomanes. Welcome, sir, to our show. I'm not the godfather of hip-hop. That would be cool, Herc. <laughs> I'm just the godfather of the Latino version of it all. Okay, okay. All right, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me, John. I know it's a, quite a drive for you, right? I think you're out in the LA area? No, I'm in, actually in Hacienda Heights. So not too bad? Hills. No, not too bad. Oh, okay, not too bad. Yeah, no. yeah. So, like we had talked about before the show, one of the things we like to do on our show is have you tell the story of, obviously, how you became this this superstar singer entertainer but most importantly if you can share your story of your childhood of you know just tell us a little bit about you and your family if you don't mind yeah no doubt born in 1967 in under communist rule cuba fidel castro uh taking everything in sight uh my parents lived a very humble life we lived at our grandfather's house i remember when i was born a, a little clinic down the way there in Pinar de Rio, Cuba. We, you know, the dirt floors at that time. At that house, we lived there. My dad, who was a school teacher at the time, we're talking about 1967, 68, 69, 1970. You know, he wanted to get a better life for, have a better life for his kids. And I give him so much love and respect and admiration because he really could have just came here by himself and left us, the rest of us back. Instead, he applies for a visa, and it just keeps getting denied. Now, the thing about at that time, the other thing was, you know, aside from seeing the Soviet tanks on the street and all that kind of stuff. The you Gorbachev remember seeing years, all this? Absolutely. Yeah, I was just four years old seeing these things. You had to have children if you wanted to get off the island or get on these things that were called the Flights of Liberty. Los Vuelos de la Libertad. Los Vuelos de la Libertad. Yes, this was wow. before the 1980s Mariel Boatlift. Okay. This is 1968, 69, 70, 71, in that time period. So if you ha if you didn't agree with Fidel Castro's ideologies and things that in the way he was taking the the country, he gave people a chance to get off the island. My father applies for visas that are always denied, but at the same time, we keep having children. He keeps having children with my mother, and it gets tougher and tougher and tougher to live in a third-world country, and you just keep creating more mouths to feed. So what happened was the government took my father out of his school, te uh, school teacher detail and put him to work in the sugarcane fields and in the sewers, and they would try to break his will and say... Why would you want to go to America? These are the kind of jobs you're going to get. 
But my dad had an ace in the hole in the sense of another buddy who had already come in 1969. Interesting, okay. And who started working at Delta Airlines here at LAX, who kept telling my dad, don't give in. That's the same thing they did to me. I have a great job here now at Delta. I told my bosses about you. They're going to give you a job as well when you come. Wow. So my dad's never breaks his will, right? Now, the other thing, the second part of that was you had to have children in order to get off the island. So when my older sister was born, her number does not hit the Cuban lottery. Basically, I think it's more like your Cuban uh, social security number when you're born, right? Oh. My brother, Sendog, a lot of you might know from a rap group called Cypress Hill. Mm -hmm. He's born, and his number doesn't hit the lotto to get off. When I'm born third... My number hits the lotto to get the entire family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, immediate family, off the island. Nobody wants to come other than our immediate six. With the shirts on our backs, we were given our papers to leave in 1971. Wow. Where we were claimed in Miami by a uncle of my mother's. In Miami, we're given... You know, the opportunity to pick where we wanted to live. New York, Chicago, Miami, or or Los Angeles. And so my parents were like, well, Miami's a lot like Cuba, you know, and we don't like tornadoes since a long time ago. Exactly. <laughs> what happens in New York and Chicago? And they would tell me, well, you know, it snows here about three months out of the year, old zero below, and they're like, we've never heard of that. So what happens in California? And they were, you know, the government tells them, well, you know, the ground shakes about every 20 years. And they're like, the ground shakes. They never heard of an earthquake before, you know. They really never heard of an earthquake. From a a third world country, you know what I mean? It's interesting. um, Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But according to the way they tell the stories, like we never heard of a, you know. So they chose Los Angeles and we moved to the Miramonte area of... Gosh, the the Florence neighborhood, down off of Florence Avenue and, and Miramani Street, we, we rented two rooms from an elder lady who happened to be a part of the church that my parents elected to go to. And then from there, we finally were able to get a two-bedroom apartment in Southgate, California in 1974. And so there's six of us. But we got a two-bedroom apartment. Of course, mom and dad had a room. And because, you know, they were girls, my two sisters got a room. Me and Sendog had to ch- share the uh, couch in the living room, mm-hmm. you know, sofa bed. But it was a family. We were growing. We came from Cuba. The 1970s, I think, for me uh, personally, was the toughest decade of my existence in, in the United States, I think. Because of the confusion of being my skin complexion, but speaking perfect Spanish and having to learn English and ESL classes and stuff like that. Once you get to learn the the language and the and get across the barrier, you start to understand that kids are picking on you and they're pointing out your raggedy shoes and your secondhand pants and all these kind of things. And And I think that part of it was the toughest part growing up where you were too black to be Latino and too Latino to be black. Wow. And I think 
that for me had to be the hardest part now remember now i don't have any cousins aunts uncles uh, you know grandparents they all stayed back in cuba and so if we got into arguments or disagreements and fights on the street there's nobody to call on it's it's us and we're we have our we had our backs against the wall a lot my brother and i uh, fought a lot because we had to defend our sisters you know so we were very poor we were poor but we had an apartment now and my parents started to save up for a house and that would come about eight nine years later that i mean they've really worked their butts off and they were able to buy a three-bedroom home on a street that would become legendary cypress avenue no way. later on wow and that's where i began to hone my skills as a mc as a rapper and listening to music that would change the course of my life because my father was breeding me to become a baseball player. And when I chose music, which made more sense because the entire family from Cuba was musicians, all the way back to my grandfather, who was the Cuban military orchestra band leader, played the stand-up bass and did all the, all the, you know, all the music. Three of my uncles, 17 of my cousins, you name it, all musicians still playing one uncle still playing in havana to this day um and so but your dad wanted you to be a baseball a baseball player, player. he wanted wow. us to stay away from music because i think he felt that you know watching his father struggle and only being able to make so much money a month you know uh playing gigs in 1955 cuba 1960 cuba you know it wasn't a very lucrative endeavor at all not there many musicians came from cuba we all know this afro-cuban music is one of the most respected uh, musics uh, genres of uh, of all time we know this but if you're actually cuban and you're honing your skills there on the island at that time it was very difficult you know going unless of course you got on tour and you were now also touring for the government because there they would take your money. Like, if you got booked in the States, like, for instance, Celia Cruz, the great, the late, great course, Celia Cruz, yes. okay? God bless her soul. God bless the dead. She would get booked, for instance, in the United States, but she'd have to give the money to the Cuban government. And then they'll give her what they th feel she needs to get over during the month, right? Wow. And and it's like that for a lot of the bands, like Sonora, Sonora uh, Matancera, and all those, even, you know, Perez Prado and all these guys from back then, you know, um, Gachao and, and people like that. And so it's a very tough way, to, tough place to make a dollar. I mean, you can play all over the island and come home with, you know, a dollar thirty-five at the end of the night, you know, and you got to feed your family with that. And then you got to get in the ration line the next morning to beat other families there in order to get food before it it goes it disappears and then you got to wait another week until the rations come back from wherever they come from so my point for saying that is to say that music made more sense but my father still wanted me to play baseball and my brother as well uh unfortunately for me because english was my second language i was slow in learning and adapting to the new languages and the new ways of america you know luckily for me when the C average and all that came out in high school, I wasn't able to make the grades in the baseball teams anymore. 
And luckily for me, hip-hop started to come in 1979, 1980, 81. Who were you listening to? Who were your artists that you looked up to or enjoyed? Well, I mean, it was a wide array of artists because my family's, the house has always been filled with music. Being My dad loved Celia Cruz and the Sonora, Matancera, and Johnny Pacheco and all these people. Um, Cachao and so many artists that he would play records of including anything from Mozart to Bach he would play he had these records or Elvis Presley records and stuff like that but it wasn't until my older sister got into junior high high school she started getting really cool you know and learning the ways so one day she came home with an Isley Brothers record and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It was a double fold-out, and you'd see the Isley Brothers all on stage with the fog machines kicking through the stage. <laughs> and I think it was called, it was the Go For Your Guns album. That looking, staring at that album really showed me like an interest there. But listening to music like Celia Cruz to Isley Brothers, that's a different, those are different genres. You don't know it at the time, but you're digesting so much. And so I think early on, those were my influences, although I didn't know it at the time. Now, when I get into high school, things start to change. Now I become one of the cool kids. And because I started breakdancing when hip hop, when I first heard hip hop, I was listening to guys like Curtis Blow. Uh, records like These Are the Breaks by Curtis Blow or Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang. Love that song. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I play that every morning, just so you know. Oh, okay. Every morning, I just I love that song. Right on. <laughs> when right I'm getting on. ready, it's just one of the coolest songs, yeah. Yeah, still, you know, yeah. you can still sing along to that. Know yeah. every word. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> but those were the kind of the first early influences of, of, of hip-hop music that I was listening to before I chose to pick up a microphone and become one of those guys. That wouldn't happen till later, about 1983, when I first heard Run DMC, Ram LZ, and another guy by the name of Mr. Shick of the Mean Machine. Mm. Um, these three records really changed my life. Number one, Mr. Shick of the Mean Machine was the first time I heard a Spanish rap mm. on a record. Okay. This is 1982-83. This was a record on the Sugar Hill Gang the Sugar Hill label out of New York who also had Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yes. And then the Ram LZ would come in and he would change and kind of teach me how to find a name, incorporate certain facets of his style and incorporate them into my own. And then there was the other group that I mentioned. Um, my goodness, there's... Anyway, these... All these records kind of helped mold and shape who I want to start becoming because as I was breakdancing, I noticed that the moves were getting way difficult. Mm. And when a move called the 1990 came out, I had to, I was like, that's it, I, I'm not doing that move. <laughs> yeah, because you're upside down spinning on one hand vertically this way. I remember that. Okay. And I didn't like being upside down. Yeah. And so I said, I can't, I can't do that move. So I think this is where I tap out. So I made a transition to the microphone and, and writing, started to hone my skills as a writer, and really started to like going to English class, 
learning definitions and finding digging through the dictionary was really intriguing to me and i remember i would always be one of the first ones to finish my my definitions and whatnot and then i would copy the girls the way they wrote the girls used to write really sexy and really cute yeah and really understandable at the same time really big loopy letters and i got my penmanship from watching the females and that's how i write to this day still but i think the 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 love of writing and starting to create i didn't know that my family's bloodline was already in me all those that were already creating on the island and making music my uncles my grandfather my cousins that's when pops my dad is like oh no oh no you're gonna make it to the major leagues you're already being scouted and you're already blah 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 you know and and i just couldn't make the grade so, so i say to those listening you know stay in school get your grades up and try to do the best you can because sometimes in life your 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 next level success could depend on it i was fortunate i was one of the lucky ones hip-hop was there and i jumped on board and i took what i knew i knew how to count so i know how to count my money and i knew how to write so i know how to write my songs right i think english class really helped you know to put words together although later i would mix english and spanish but that all started there at that time you know the high school years so after the high school years you know i started to really hang out in hollywood and go to hollywood and try to meet people that were already involved in the industry and so that's what kind of happened and little by little you know at first the record companies weren't ready for a spanish rapper was that tough that that they were ready for you well well yeah because see now it's 1987 and since it hadn't been done since 1981 when mr schick of the meme machine does that record but then they get kicked off the label because they were asking for their royalties and stuff like that oh, okay right so nobody touches spanish rap until i say okay he put a little piece of spanish in the rap i'm gonna do an entire rap record in spanish yeah and when delicious vinyl here in los angeles heard that they gave me a deal instantly what was that like when that deal was offered to you i mean do you remember that moment well yeah well i mean i remember because it was a tough period in my life because my dad had kicked me out of the house i believed so much in myself that i didn't want to go get the job the j word you know yeah go get the job or work for the man so you it know? came at a critical moment it came at a critical moment and this is where mentirosa was no not yet not yet okay i i get the deal and they offered me just a single deal for one record okay but they get gave me a two thousand dollar check and i swear to god i thought i was rich <laughs> oh my god but I, back I, then it was a lot of money it was a lot of money it's in 1987 money. exactly so I go out with that money and I buy myself a uh, 1971 BMW Bavarian nice. with an oil exhaust leak coming through the cabin. <laughs> but nobody could tell me nothing, man. If you ask me, that was a Rolls Royce. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's where things start to change now because record companies didn't want to hear it. We chopped it around and we took it to here and there. And nobody wanted the Spanish rap until Delicious Vinyl hears it. Uh, Michael Ross and Matt Dyke down there, um, who are very influential guys. You know, they, they're the ones who 
who put on Tone Loke and Young MC and if you remember records like Wild yeah. Thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Bust the Move and That's all that right. kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I so, grew up on that music. Well, there you go. So yeah. I'm the I'm the third guy signed there at Delicious Vinyl in their early days. They had Tone Loke, Young MC, and myself, and we kick off the label pretty strongly because Tone Loke comes out with um, Funky Cole Medina. That's right. Uh, Young MC comes out with uh, what was it? I believe it was Bust the Move. Maybe Bust the Move. Yeah, Bust the Move. Right. Yeah. Or Fastest Rhyme Is it, okay. at the time. It, Bust the Move wasn't yet. Neither was Wild Thing. Those will all come later. Those then will come later. I come with this Spanish rap called Masping. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not gonna say it at all yeah. because we are on a family <laughs> on a family show. Yes. But it rhymes with Chingon. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so we come out to shoot pretty strong. The labels is defending itself against Def Jam Records and which was big back then, right? Which yeah. was huge. huge. I mean, you're talking about LL Cool J, the yeah. Beastie Boys, or uh, Public Enemy. Wow. So we're holding our own on the West Coast. I, mean, I wish you could tell this story tomorrow at an 80s event. What a great story. <laughs> this, is, this is a great 80s, like, right? Like, history. Well, yeah. And I was pr I'm was i very proud to be a part of that. So then we put this record out, and people are loving it, although it's more of a cult classic, and it's hardcore Spanish rap. It's I'm yelling at you, you know what I mean? Cuando llego a la casa, esto lo que pasa. Empiezo a gozar con toda la raza. But I'm yelling, you know? It does pretty well, but it captures the interest of Capitol Records. Oh. Who then sends a rep to San Diego State University where I'm doing a show there on campus. And the rep comes to me and says, hey, man, we love what you're doing with the Spanish stuff. And uh, Capital wants wants to buy you. Here's my business card. Call me on Monday. We want to give you a contract. I'm like, well, I'm already signed over at Delicious Vinyl. And that he was like, don't worry about that. We're going to buy out your contract. Wow. And it turns out this guy, his name was Kenny Ortiz, who ha also happened to be a Afro-Cuban brother like myself, who worked the A&R department at Capitol Records. So I come back home Monday. We were we were doing a show with Tone Loke, Young MC, and, and another guy from New York there in San Diego. Uh, when we finish, he gives me his business card. I call him on Monday, and sure enough, we set up a meeting to go meet with the the big dogs over at Capitol Records. Now it gets no, no bigger in terms of record companies in America at that time. What a moment, huh? Capitol Records. I mean, we're talking about the Beatles. We're talking about Jimi Hendrix. We're talking about so many wow. legendary people that have come through there. Um, the Jacksons. I wanted to be so, a fly in that room <laughs> that day. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> and listen to that whole situation, man. It, it was crazy wow. because now they go, well, we're going to buy out your contract from Delicious Vinyl. Delicious Vinyl, luckily for me, needed money to press more Young MC and Tone Loke records. So uh, Capital offers them somewhere in the neighborhood of 40K or whatever it was, mm -hmm. which they needed to press more, exactly. more records. So they let me spread my wings. In other words, they didn't try to hold me back or say, no, he's our artist and we're going to keep it. If you love him, then we'll t yeah. cont continue pushing him. They, and instead, it was the total opposite. They they let me spread my wings, and they did the deal. And that's when we start to really write an album, the Escape from Havana album, 
which had Menta Rosa on there and had the Welcome to My Grooves, the Rhyme Fighters and all those. It was a very experimental album because I really didn't, I had, I, I won't say that I didn't know what I was doing. It's just that I had so many different styles within me. So, I mean, we're talking about guaguanco rap, rap and Cuban folklore beats, bilingual, Spanish, rock, hip-hop, underground, mainstream. I'm touching every possible angle. So I say it was an experimental album because of that. Yeah, I was very well rounded as a as a rapper. I could yes. I could do a love ballad or in English or in Spanish, and I prided myself on versatility, you know. And I think that's really why I got the, that big major deal, seven album deal. So yeah. what was it like performing? Everybody, everybody who's a fan, who's listening, who's watching. What is it like to be on stage? I know we only got a few minutes, probably about 10 minutes that, that we got here with Paul, but what was it like when that at that peak in your career, you're in the, on stage, and of course, you're on stage all the time now, but what is that feeling like for those of us that don't know, right? It's like, yeah. I was watching ESPN and, and the lady who was interviewing, they were, they were debating on like some stuff, and then she says, I wonder what it's like to win a, a Super Bowl or a championship. There's some people that don't know that feeling. Sure. Can you share that with us? What is that like? Yeah, I really can because I can identify with that because early on when you're doing all the greasy little clubs from here to there to get known and raise your popularity, I mean, you can play clubs out in Nogales with chickens out in front or you can go do the Casa Camino Real or you yeah. go do the Palladium, the Hollywood Palladium. Yes. But I think the more impactful shows came with I got booked to play in Colombia and open up for air supply. Wow. We're playing big stadiums, you know, wow. soccer stadiums yes. out there. On that tour, is a four-city tour. We're doing Bogota, Medellin, Cali, and I forget the last city there. Just a sea of people. A sea of people, being an ambassador for all things Latino. For those listening who are really young, look, the best way I can describe it is that you can understand is when I say something like uh, comparable to you today, it would be I, I was the bad bunny of 1990. That's right. Okay. That's right. But there was nobody else. Yes. So I'm eating the game up. Yes. I'm all things Latino. There's a lot of pressure on my shoulders to do well, to be a, now I'm a shiny example. Yeah. I'm a role model, all these things. And you're like, I just want to be an artist. I just want to rap. I just want to, yeah. I just wow. want to rap. Yeah. But you didn't know that all this responsibility would fall on No, you. no. I had yeah. no mentor. I didn't know yeah. the, the things that were going to happen. Yeah. You know, all the things that are thrown at you. And you're in a whirlwind of getting money, success, becoming an ambassador for hip-hop. You're going to different countries. And I knew we had made it. I had made it when I touched down in Santiago, Chile. And there were over 100 journalists on the tarmac waiting for me to get off the plane. That's awesome. And they weren't leaving until everybody got their story. That was traumatizing for me at 21 years old because the next morning when I woke up, I opened up my hotel door to get my breakfast that was coming in. All the newspapers were, had already turned their stories in and pressed them and they were piled up in front of my wow. hotel door. And I'm like, wow. So what we're doing here is we're ambassadoring for hip-hop because 
in a lot of Latin countries, they were still under the impression like hip hop rap is a black music. Why are you? And they would ask me right on the TV show, like Martes Trece or whatever. Melo, mm -hmm. Melo, man, ¿por qué estás haciendo música de morenos? I'm like, yo, wait, tone it down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would take the time to educate them and be like, no, hip hop started with blacks and Latinos in the ghettos of, of the Bronx, New York. Yeah. You know, it's, they were all there together. You know, it just so happens that it was a black DJ, a Jamaican DJ who started it all. But blacks, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Dominicans were all there as well. And I would educate them. And I think that helped elevate the culture on a global scale. Because they had many countries had never heard hip hop, much less in their own language at that time. Well, as an ambassador then and an ambassador now, I know that you're also you're doing a mentorship program. Yes. Can you share with us some some about that that mentorship program? Because first and foremost, I want to thank you. You've always been there to support like our fundraisers. You know, whether it's our annual tour drive here at the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, yeah. you've been there to perform, and we appreciate that. And then you've been part of our golf tournament, which helps raise money for our scholarship program yeah. for our youth chamber. So we appreciate you thank always you. being there well, for us. Guys. You know, we really me. appreciate <laughs> that. Tell us a little bit about your mentorship program. I know we're in the last. Five or so minutes here. Okay. Tell us about the mentorship program you got going on in La Puente right now, right? Right. Yeah, uh, I got approached by City Councilman David Argudo one day at an event. And uh, he, he said, hey, I, I'm having an idea of bringing a music program to the city of La Puente. Would you be interested? And I said, we could talk about that. Definitely interested. So three, four months go by. I, don't, I never hear from him. One day we're playing a golf tournament. You know, all all the boys, Rasa yes. Golf and Brandon yeah. and everybody, we're all at a Brandon golf in the house here. Absolutely, shout out <laughs> BZ. So then the phone rings, and I'm about to go tee off. And it's, it's Dave, Councilman Argudo, and he's like, are you ready? I was like, I was born ready, man. What you talking about? Well, he said, well, you need to create a, a curriculum, and then we have to get it by city council. So I called in some great friends, Abby Losis, Bronick Robleski, who were friends of mine in the industry, who I knew could help me mold and shape the curriculum aspect of it. We got that down, sat down together, got it down. Then Abby and I pro pro uh, proposed it over in city council. They loved it across the board. From city, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, city mayor Charlie Klinakis, he loved it. City manager Bob Lindsay blessed it. All the other city councilmen loved it. And they say, we, we don't have anything like this at all. Thank you, Mellow Man. Let's do it. Nice. And so we did a, uh, you know, we did a great, we wrote a great proposal. And now we're in our seventh week. Congratulations. Of the 10-week program of mentorship. And nice. it's called the Mellow Man Ace Arts and Ed uh, Edutainment Arts Program. Nice. And it covers La Puente, who's the hub, uh, Hacienda Heights, Avocado Heights, Bassett, Valinda as well. Okay. The San Gabriel Valley. Nice. And so what we did was we started to, you know, go visit all the schools in the area, the elementary schools and the high schools, to try to get kids interested in, hey, would you like to learn the arts and, you know, and learn how to rap and play the piano or play a keyboard, create a, a beat, a track? Yes. And we got uh, our first initial intake, we got about 100 kids interested. Wow. And, um, and so now so we're cool. in our seventh week, headed towards um, graduation day and a, and a final performance from all the kids. 
and I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of the program. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you're doing. Continue all success. Melo Manes will also be supporting our 1980s flashback fight cancer fundraiser we're doing tomorrow at 701 Restaurant. Thank you again for being part of everything we do in the community. You we, got it, John. We really appreciate it. You've been always very gracious with me. You've been an A-plus gentleman. And so anytime I, I get to feel your energy, your vibe, I'm there, brother. You got good, good ache, as they say. Gracias. It yeah. means a lot to me. We will see you on the golf course, but first and foremost, we'll see you tomorrow we'll see you night. Tomorrow night on stage, absolutely. With, with JJ with Fat. JJ yeah. Fat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Arabian Prince. Absolutely. Um, and last week, we actually had our friends from Mariachi Divas. She was on the show a couple yeah. weeks ago, and they're going to be there actually, also performing their two time nice. Grammy winners. So it's going to be a great event raising money for Chalk Children's Hospital. And so thank you. Thank you so much for all you do in the community. And again, folks, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week. Again, the godfather of Latin hip-hop. Ah, you got it. <laughs> Mr. Mellow Man Ace. Thank you and continue all success. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you soon, folks. Have a good one. Peace. One more good reason to tune in each and every time to meet our community, the Hispanic business community, powered by the Orange County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beal Applied Innovation Center.